You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, and this is episode number 70. And we are talking today with Brittany from Illinois, who had a repeat C-section after going for a VBAC after two C-sections. And I was just chatting with Brittany before we got, before we like started being official and everything. And my gosh, I was just going through her notes and her story with her just really really briefly and I started tearing up and having goosebumps and I'm just so excited to hear the whole long version and I can't wait for you to hear it with me. I'm all alone right now. I was just telling Brittany I'm I feel like I'm naked because Megan's not with me. She is at a birth right now with a mom who's having twins and a, a vaginal twin birth right now even if you um if you think that's incredible. And so I'm really sad to not be with her, but um, I'm going to try and do my best while we talk to Brittany. But before I do that, normally I would turn the time over to Megan for the review of the week, but you're just going to have to pretend that you're listening to Megan right now because I'm going to take it right on. Today's review is from Katrina B on Google, and she said, Julie and Megan are nothing short of extraordinary. They are two of the most passionate, dedicated, and determined women I know who continue to propel maternal care education and support into the next dimension. You can tell within the first minute of meeting them. Oh, this, I, this makes me so happy. You can tell within the first me- minute of meeting them how genuine and loving they are. Their VBAC podcast, educational classes, and groups are so incredibly needed. As a birth professional myself, I took their VBAC doula course, and it was well thought out, thoroughly researched, and so informative. I also had my second child in February 2019 and hired Julie as my doula. Hey, that's me. Um, I know exactly who this is. <laughs> I knew from the moment she sat and chatted with my husband and I that she was the one. And as a birth professional myself, I am very picky and had high standards for my birth team. Both Megan and Julie have ha- had a fire and passion that will never burn out. I highly recommend them for educational classes, trainings, and as doulas. Oh, Katrina, I love you so much. You already know that. This was um, as a doula. I'm sure all you other doulas can relate. I walked out of my interview with Katrina and I'm like, oh my gosh, if she doesn't hire me, I will just die because because I just fell in love with her and her cute little family. And it was so sweet because when she texted me back a couple days later, she said, so me and my husband talked about it and we were wondering if you would be our doula and our friend. And I'm like, yes, yes, I'll be your doula and your friend. And I was like so excited. And I just, I I love making connections with that with my clients. And she's not a VBAC mom, but again, she's one of our VBAC trained doulas and she's incredible. So thanks for that little shout out. Katrina. And in case you didn't know, you can head over to Google right now and search for the VBAC link and on the right side will pop up our little business and you can click on reviews and leave us a review right on Google. And that helps us out because what it does is it tells Google that people like us. And so if you like us, go let Google know so that we can help more women just like you listening right now. And maybe your review will be the one we read next week. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. 
Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right, we are here with Brittany, and I'm just not even going to talk anymore about this story because you need to hear it right from her mouth. So I'm going to turn it over right to our new friend, Brittany, from Illinois. And Brittany, just take it away. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) First of all, I just have to say thank you so much because I discovered you guys during my last pregnancy Mm. and seriously binged every single episode of your podcast. And I'm still listening five months later. And you guys were just so encouraging to me and really a very important part of my journey. So I'm honored to be doing this today. Well, thank you so much I'm I'm sure one or both of us will be crying by the end of this. Oh, my gosh. I just just can't wait to hear this story. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) well, um, just overall, when I think about just my pregnancy journeys, because I'm briefly going to touch on all three of mine, I just think about all the other things going on in our lives at the same time because there's a lot of outside circumstances that shaped each of my babies coming into the world. Mm -hmm. And then I also think about redemption because there's just this kind of overwhelming arc of redemption that I think is so cool. So my first pregnancy was pretty typical, no real complications. I chose a provider based on the recommendation of a good friend, like a lot of people do. And I had desired to have a natural childbirth and delivery, but like so many new moms, didn't really know the questions to ask, the conversations to have with my provider. I knew I didn't want to be induced. I wanted to have a natural intervention-free labor, but figured that would be pretty easily attainable. Mm -hmm. My husband was a youth pastor at the time, but around 18 weeks, some concerns were raised about his leadership at his job. Long story short, he was asked to step down. (laughs) And resigned at the end of the year. So I'm like 20, 24 weeks pregnant while this is all going on. So yeah, I was due Easter weekend. So yeah, this was like my second trimester. And we also lived in a house the church owned. So they were gracious enough to let us stay through April, but we decided to move. Mm -hmm. So I'm pregnant. My husband loses his job. We move. Oh my gosh. And then I also interviewed and accepted a promotion at my, through my employer, when I was, and I started that job when I was like, technically, I think 38 weeks pregnant. So crazy, crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but got that all out of the way as much as you can. Oh Things continued to move along. And like so many, like so many moms, my due date came and went. At my 41 week appointment, my provider said they wanted to induce, and she wanted to do so within such a short time frame that she asked me to switch hospitals from the hospital wow. I wanted to birth at. And I really don't think there was a reason why, other than the fact I was past due. Mm-hmm. So just over 41 weeks, we went in. I started on Pitocin, and they broke my water when I was like two centimeters dilated, which was absolutely awful. I labored for about 26 hours without anything more than some IV pain meds, but then it became too much, and I agreed to an epidural, mm-hmm. which, like so many women, started that te- textbook cascade of interventions. Ultimately, after a few heart rate dips during contractions, I had agreed to a cesarean. I never progressed past about four centimeters. And uh, baby was born when I was 41 and three days. So, I mean, 
overall, the biggest challenge with this all was rest because I got so little of it once I got into the hospital. But baby was great. I do remember this doctor coming back into the OR when they were finishing up with my surgery saying, we have another one, like really excitedly, another cesarean. So I learned after that that this provider is pretty intervention happy and probably has one of the highest cesarean rates in our area. Wow. And my my daughter was a pretty average weight, like eight six, so you know, good sized baby. Mm-hmm. But I remember after she was born I began researching VBAC pretty shortly thereafter. And it was just always something that was really important to me to give birth naturally. So when she was nine months old I found out I was pregnant again and just wanted to cry because <laughs> I was just not ready for it. I'm right there with um, you. I, I was, an, I had an unplanned pregnancy at eight months postpartum, and oh man, I totally understand that feeling. Holy cow! Oh my goodness. I I will I will say this was not part of my original notes, but I've had three surprises. Oh so. my goodness! But this was this was a big one when I found out I was pregnant with my second. So I went back to that original office for my blood test. But due to some insurance and just knowing how things were going to go, I began researching other providers very quickly mm-hmm. and began going to a practice that was very, very feedback supportive, had a couple midwives on staff, and began seeing a midwife there. So during this pregnancy, we bought a house and moved. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> but otherwise... But otherwise, everything was pretty pretty much okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I had another fairly typical pregnancy, except during my third trimester, they were starting to say that baby was measuring big by a week or two. And I didn't think much of it, except for the fact that I also had a lot of people close to me questioning why I wanted to be back and saying, you know, oh, it's so dangerous, you know, this and that. So, I mean, I was fighting a lot of negativity, in a lot of my support, supportive community. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember meeting with my, the OB there once, and then I was scheduled to meet with him again about, you know, 32, 36 weeks, somewhere in there. But I didn't think much of it when I met my midwife instead. I just remember saying something to my midwife about, oh, we must be on vacation still. And she said, no, not exactly. But we just, I, I think I responded back with, oh, you know, it's not really my business. And just went on with things. So towards the end of my pregnancy, I, I do remember seeing the office be getting, getting more and more empty. But, but I was like, oh, this is so nice. I'm getting in. I'm getting out. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't really think much of it other than that. But uh, baby continued to measure big. I had several NSTs, several ultrasounds, several discussions along the way about risks of VBAP, especially with bigger babies, so shoulder dystocia, you know, that sort of thing. And again, my due date came and went, <laughs> and there wasn't really much happening. Having the occasional Braxton Hicks, something in my membranes. I think I was a one when I was checked at my 41-week appointment, and I specifically remember this being a Thursday. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I do know why. <laughs> I also had an ultrasound that same day, and I was told that baby was measuring 10 pounds, 12 ounces. Now, I had done my research. And so I knew that there was a huge margin of error on ultrasounds, especially towards the end of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking the ultrasound tech, you know, what's the margin of error here? And she's telling me, you know, about a pound or so. And so I'm just like, whatever. But I remember at that point my midwife asked what I had eaten so far that day and was recommending a cesarean as soon as possible. 
which really surprised me. You know, I was asking her, you know, hey, what about an induction? And she's just like, no, I think a cesarean is your best bet. To say I was disappointed was an, is an absolute understatement. I was yeah. devastated. I walked out of that office. I was bawling. I was inconsolable. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. A good friend of mine texted me and told me she was praying for me. And, you know, I kind of went back about my day about that evening. The midwife just said, you know, I know you need some time. Get back to me as soon as you can kind of thing. I really wanted my V-back. I was just really, really doubting it. Mm-hmm. So we went to bed that night. I had been praying for clarity. I had been praying for guidance. And my prayers were answered that night. Now, I have to preface this a little bit. I'm a deep sleeper. I think a lot of women can be, especially if you have kids. So mm-hmm. most of the time, I, my head hits the pillow at night, and I am just out. You know, I'm, I'm running around after a toddler, too, but I'm just out. But this night, I woke up at 2 in the morning, and I was just wide awake. And I remember walking over to the nursery and just sitting in the rocker, and I'm just praying, and just this wave of peace and this wave of calm just washed over me. And I've never experienced anything like that. But I knew in that moment that as much as it wasn't my choice that I needed to go through and just just have a C-section and just have this baby. So I texted my midwife Friday, and it must have not been that urgent because I didn't get into the doctor until Monday morning. So... um, my mom was able to come in to be with my oldest, who was 17 months at the time. And it was a different doctor who performed my surgery. I had just learned about gentle cesareans. Even as an aside, again, this is not my notes, but if you're planning a VBAC, I would highly recommend just even researching gentle cesareans. I think yes. they're pretty awesome. We personally. teach about that in our class because you just never Do know you? when things are not going to go to plan. And, and if you don't know your options, you don't have any. Absolutely, absolutely. But I was so thankful that I did research that because I was able to go in and explain it to the doctor and request a lot of those things. So they were able to lower the drape for me as soon as she was born. I was allowed to have pretty immediate skin-to-skin, and I delivered at the hospital I originally wanted to deliver at, which is which was a night and day difference. Like, they did all the testing in my room. Baby stayed with me. It was awesome. And I have to say, baby was, in fact, 10 pounds, 12 ounces. Wow. <laughs> so she, she was pretty big. I did know the, Viva, or the, the ultrasound tech, and later I apologized to her because I'm like, I totally had the attitude, <laughs> and I'm sorry. <laughs> I was also told at the time that I had a very thin uterine wall. But again, like I've heard you guys say before, you don't know what a normal uterus looks like when you deliver. So I, I brushed that off, but, but my recovery went smoothly. Despite the fact I wasn't able to pick up or lift my older daughter who was 17 months old at the time. But the, literally the worst part of the experience was having the resident come in my room and asking me why they were doing a cesarean. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I wanted the ball. I'm like, I don't want this surgery. And you're asking me why you're doing this because you haven't given me any other options really. Yeah. But, what I, what I do remember clear as day, though, is I'm getting ready to be discharged from the hospital, and my midwife was there. 
And so I asked her, you know, hey, who's handling my postpartum care? And she just looked at me and she's like, you don't know? And I go, no. So she basically had to sit me down and tell me that my doctor's office was, that the office that she was at was closing. And just some of the situations, some of the circumstances surrounding that, which I'm not going to get into. But in hindsight, I have no doubt that the stress around that office, the finality of it closing and everything else contributed to my course of care. Yeah. Because there are those things that as much as you try to leave those behind that impact somebody's decisions and judgment and everything else. So I do love that midwife. Don't get me wrong. I love her. And it was the right decision. And I know it was. Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping track, my care was now transferred to doctor number three. Oh, my goodness. Who's the one that did my C-section for number two. I left the first office voluntarily. (laughs) But this was not my choice. Yeah. So... At my postpartum visit with this doctor, I was told really two things. One was, you need to wait two years before you get pregnant again. (laughs) And two, that if you have another kid, it's a scheduled C-section at 38 weeks Mm. because of baby size. And I, and I didn't, I didn't have, I did not have gestational diabetes or anything like that. She was just legitimately a big baby. She still is a very large child for her age. (laughs) Needless to say, I knew that if I did find myself pregnant, I probably wouldn't stick with that office. But I didn't have to worry about that because about a year later, I get a letter in the mail that that office is closing and that I can come in and pick up my records. (laughs) So that was just kind of crazy to be let go from two different offices completely out of my control, but have those both close. Mm-hmm. So in about mid-April of last year, I discovered I was pregnant with number three. And it was like... Surprise! Oh, <laughs> surprise! <laughs> yes, surprise! And, oh, I'm going to need to find a provider yet again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, I began to ask around, and there's an area I can chapter that recommended a more local group to my area. And this one provider was recommended again and again, so that's where I decided to go. I would have loved to go outside of my hospital. There was a recently opened home, uh, what is it, birthing center. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a uh, where is it, home birth midwife. But they neither of them take feedback clients for liability reasons. Mm, yeah. So those were not options for me. Hospital birth was really the only thing. But my absolute best decision was, I hired a doula this time around. So yay for doulas. We love doulas. Um, we, I know you do. <laughs> but just, you know, I, I read the research. I knew that, you know, it's one of the best things you can do to set yourself up for success yeah. with a VBAC. And I loved her the moment I met her. I think I found her as doulamatch.net. Is that a website? Yeah. Something yep. Like sure that. is. Yeah. I, I, found, I found her through that. But she was just a calming presence. She uh, had a background in nutrition as well which I just really, really loved. And she also challenged me because I'm just a little bit type A. Mm, But um, it was was a great combination for me. However, because I can't have a pregnancy without drama, um, just before I discovered I was pregnant, my husband was let go of his job. Oh, my goodness. You have so much going on for every single pregnancy. Holy cow. Yes, yes, yes. So throughout pretty much my first and entire second trimester, he was unemployed. Mm. 
but I began, I also began working full time at my job. I was kind of on a more part-time basis at that point. So, I mean, just a lot to navigate between, you know, my kids starting, uh, they started preschool full time and, you know, just some other things too. It was just a lot of stress. Again, I had a fairly easy pregnancy. I was a lot more tired and I had a lot less energy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's getting older. I don't know if that's it's you two have pregnancies and yep. four years. I don't, yeah, there's a lot of things. <laughs> but I met once or twice with my doula, tried to exercise, and just was working to juggle everything. I also thought, and I made sure it was a Webster certified chiropractor. Don't go see a regular chiropractor. Just don't. Just see a Webster one. Yep. Chiropractors are great, but get a Webster one if you can. Starting around 20 weeks, had a couple massages, and I just really tried to try to ease a lot of the stress that was going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. Summer progressed to fall, fall progressed to early winter. At like 38 or 39 weeks, I can't exactly remember, but I had one morning where I woke up and first thing in the morning, like I got sick and I was having the occasional contraction and so I remember texting my doula and I was like so excited because I'm like maybe I'm in labor maybe this is the day because there you know there's some of those signs that are just early labor I prodromal labor all day off and on and nothing happened and then I was disappointed again yeah um but I had prodromal labor off and on the last few weeks of my pregnancy sometimes kind of intense but it was pretty much always stopped after a few hours, but I was grateful for it because it was still more than I ever experienced during my first two, which I feel like is kind of weird to say, but it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, It was somewhere in here that I met one of my really good friends for lunch, and she asked me very candidly, why do you want to be back so bad? And it took me a while to think about it because I think so often I'm stubborn. So I just had that, like, this is what I want to do. But she asked me why. And I remember telling her, I want to be the first person to hold my baby. Yes. Because I've, I've never experienced that. I want to be the first person to hold my baby. To which she told me, you know, I've had three naturally and one the cesarean and I wasn't the first one to hold my baby. I'm like, I understand that, but. I just, I want to hold her, like, first thing if I can. But um, the last few weeks of my pregnancy were just an absolute emotional roller coaster. I had a few tense visits with my provider, including one where I was asking if they wanted to see my birth plan. And they replied to me, no, not unless there's anything weird about it. And so I'm like, well, what's weird? And I don't remember exactly what was said, but it was something about an IV, something about me agreeing to an IV. And my response was simply, I'd rather not. Mm -hmm. Not no, just an I'd rather not. And my provider looks at me and looks me straight in the face, tells me, you're dismissed after you have this baby. He said what? I'm done with you after you have. They, They told me that they were going to dismiss me after I had the baby. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I had to take a few minutes to collect myself. This was the end of the day. <laughs> so I'm checking out, scheduling my next appointment. I, I mean, this is at the tail end of my pregnancy. This is in the last couple of weeks. I'm checking out and I ask, I'm like, hey, can I, can, I talk to, can I talk to them real quick? 
and they make me wait in the waiting room, and then they basically says yes. So we were able to clear the air a little bit and have a good discussion, but I did call my doula practically bawling, asking her if there was somebody else I could see, and she's basically like, um, no, this provider is probably your best bet. And But it did leave a pretty sour taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I was being a difficult patient. Probably just caught him on some bad days. I mean, this is also December. <laughs> December is a stressful time period. The only thing I had done was maybe decline most cervical checks. Mm-hmm. But it was somewhere in here that I found a cross that I bought. And it said on it, she confidently entrusts the Lord to take care of her. And that kind of became my mantra. Mm-hmm confidently trusting so my yeah so my due date came and went again (laughs) and at my 41 week appointment I asked my provider how long past due they would let me go and I was told that you know 42 weeks which really surprised me because every other pregnancy I hit that 41 mark and it was you're done basically but that would have put any intervention on December 23rd, at which point I knew I would be in the hospital over Christmas. Mm. And I have two young kids. <laughs> and so call me selfish. I probably am a little bit. I knew that if I had a choice in the matter, I really didn't want to be in the hospital over Christmas. Yeah. So I agreed to be induced on the Friday before, which would I would have been, what, 41 and 5 when I went in to be induced. Mm-hmm. And because I was going for a VBAC after two cesareans, I was told no Pitocin, but that he would go, they would go ahead and break my water, which after everything I experienced with my first birth really, really scared me. But I felt like a chance was a chance, so I was okay with it. I had already begun my maternity leave because of how my employer does time off. Mm-hmm. So I spent the last few days of my pregnancy walking about two miles every day Good trying to relax. Oh, yeah. Trying to get ready for Christmas. I was putting lights on my Christmas tree, which is a whole other story in and of itself because it takes <laughs> me weeks. <laughs> um, so we show up at the hospital the morning of, and I was told at that point that instead of breaking my water, they were going to start with a Foley bulb, which I was like, yay, so excited about. Yeah, that's a great um, option. Oh, it was a wonderful option. And I have to say here that I had the absolute best hospital staff supporting me, which I was not expecting from my nurses to the residents, uh, because it's a teaching hospital, to the OB on call. Everyone was so respectful of my birth plan and my wishes and genuinely, genuinely wanted me to succeed in having my VBAC. So we began with a four-centimeter Foley bulb, and it took until midday to get me dilated to a four. <laughs> I was walking a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, and then they broke my water, I think it was about mid-afternoon, and told me there was some meconium in it. No big mm-hmm. deal. I remembered having that with my first child. And I remember it was that first day, it was towards the end of the day, that I agreed to a cervical check, but I told them, said, please don't tell me. Tell my husband, tell my doula, I don't want to know. <laughs> Just because I knew it would mess with my head. Yeah. I was having a lot of back labor at the time, which was incredibly painful, but otherwise was overall doing okay. And this is where things get into fuzzy, fuzzy, la 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 and birth timeline. But I've tried <laughs> to put it together and ask my husband. 
at some point later in the evening, things were getting pretty, getting pretty intense. And I remember getting into the shower and having a nice, nice long shower because I didn't have access to a tub. But somewhere around two in the morning, I was in just a lot of pain. And I just hit a wall mentally, emotionally. I was probably exhausted at this point. I talked to the attending physician and I told her I was done and just wanted, just wanted a cesarean, just wanted to have this baby. And what she said to me was such a blessing because she told me, that's okay. I can go ahead and call your doctor, but he's not going to, he's not going to be in until the morning, basically, even if I call him now. And for some reason, knowing that I didn't have a choice (laughs) but to deal with it helped me push through. Uh, We had an ultrasound and found out the baby was posterior at that point in time. But my doula was awesome. She kept helping me change positions. We were using the peanut ball. Suggestion after suggestion after suggestion. There was one point I was laying in the hospital bed on my belly with a peanut ball under me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, my head was down low. Does that... I don't know. Yeah. It probably makes more sense to you. I know I wasn't, that wasn't in my notes. I didn't mean to try to explain no, it. You're, no, you're good. I, I think it was basically to try to help turn baby, more or less. At some point in the middle of the night, I had literally one of the most beautiful moments of my entire delivery because we had worship music on and my husband was just with me, was rocking on the birthing ball, uh, you know, breathing through contractions. And I just remember having a conversation with him, having a conversation with my doula going, if this is all I get, if all I get is this chance to, is this moment to worship through contractions, which are never easy, and just almost be present with my body and just be experiencing what labor is like. If this is all I get, this journey has been worth it. And I just, it just provided me with so much peace. I think that was before, yeah, and that was after, I think that was after I hit the wall. So it just gave me just so much peace. It was just beautiful. So I remember at some point having another shower. (laughs) (laughs) And I also remember at some point noticing a lot of meconium. And when I say a lot, I mean, I don't want to get too gross, but I mean, it just, it looked like, Almost, it was coming from me, but it wasn't, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I remember asking my nurse about it, but they told me it was normal, which, yeah. And we just continued on. So I tried nitrous at some point in time. It really didn't do much for me. And sometime early the next day, so this was after 24 hours, I knew it was time for an epidural. It was probably about 30 hours in. I was just not handling contractions well. I was tensing up with each one. I was, you know, vocalizing through each one. So I agreed to, we decided on that. I was still, I was using my breast pump to stimulate, stimulate contractions because no Pitocin mm-hmm. and was still switching positions. I was, one of the positions they really had me in was I was sitting up with my legs crossed in the hospital bed and like laboring down, I think is what they called it to try to get the yeah. cervix to open. And yep. it was, it was honestly a great position to be in with an epidural. But at some point midday, I went from being really, really warm, you know, fan going, 
nothing much on other than a bra to um, being really, really cold. And my nurse started to get a little concerned. And sure enough, shortly thereafter, I began running a fever. Mm. And they did a cervical check around the same time. And it indicated I hadn't progressed much at all. I was still a four or a five. And we're talking at least 18 hours, probably closer to 24 that I was at that point. Mm -hmm. So that was when I knew we had tried everything we could and that I, I needed to agree to another C-section at that point for, for my health as much as anything. And when my doctor rounded early afternoon, it was the first time I saw him since I had come into the hospital. <laughs> but um, I think they agreed, but I don't really remember. I do remember that they were getting everything prepared, and I went over my birth plan again with the nurse. You know, gentle cesarean, lower drape, delayed cord clamping, baby to me as soon as we could, immediate skin to skin. You know, a lot of those things that were really, really important to me that I did get with my second. And they moved me to the OR, and then my doctor was called away to deliver another baby at the other hospital in town. So I don't know how long that was, but I was left there in the OR. I'm shivering. I have heated blankets on me, and the staff's getting everything together, but at some point, they decided to just let my husband come back with me because otherwise I was by myself with all the staff. And I was, uh-huh. just, I was just in this place of defeat. But my husband was so supportive, you know, telling me again and again how proud he was of me and reminding me that, you know what, we're going to meet this baby really soon. This is all going to be over. And, you know, you've done a great job. So having been through two cesareans but up to this point, I knew what to expect or at least I had an idea of what to expect. I had an idea of what it was like. But I had a lot of pain, especially in my lower ribs this time around. And I don't know if that was because they were a little light on the meds or I had requested some meds that I didn't want, that they typically do. But I just remember feeling all that pain and pressure. But the weirdest moment was when I felt them pulling baby out. And the first thing I noticed was that the drape stayed up. Mm-hmm. And I, a clear drape was an option for me, but my husband, oh, let me think. My husband um, is not good <laughs> with a lot of medical stuff or blood or anything like that. Yeah. And we didn't want him on the floor. So no clear drape. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I understand. <laughs> but um, I, so they didn't lower the drape. And then I didn't hear her cry. And you have you have kids and you're used to hearing them cry fairly soon. I do remember seeing them rush her over to the warmer along with my husband and just nothing. They were trying to suction her and I remember seeing more and more people come into the room around her and my husband was intentionally blocking my view this whole time. Oh no. I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I knew it couldn't. I, could, I knew it couldn't be good. And then they took her away and took my hubby with them. And I think someone told me at some point in time that she was having trouble breathing, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. And all I could do was pray and try not to cry and try not to freak out. Yeah. And I was probably feeling the most vulnerable and helpless 
at that point than I ever have in my entire life. Um, it was it was scary. It was absolutely scary. I got more answers as soon as I got to the recovery room, and my doula was there as soon as she as soon, pretty much as soon as they wheeled me in because they didn't allow her in the OR. But um, my husband was texting her updates. And my daughter had inhaled a significant amount of meconium and was having trouble maintaining her oxygen levels. Mm. Um, And so that's why they were really, really nervous. By the time I was out of the recovery room, she was on room equivalent air, which is really good, although it was pressurized. And I could not, I mean, my, my doula was already there my entire labor with the exception of a couple hours. But um, I could not have done it without her at that point in time because she was in the room with me. She was helping me to express colostrum. She was really just keeping me, giving me updates as much as my husband could and just trying to keep me as calm as we could. I was told that when they initially took her back, they were preparing my husband for worst-case scenarios, including a possible transfer to the other hospital with a higher NICU level because this one... it was more of just a nursery. Like they, they had a lot of the things, but it wasn't the higher level NICU. But luckily she rallied very, very quickly. And as soon as my time in the recovery room was done, they wheeled me right next to her in the nursery and I got to have kangaroo care and hold her, Aww. which meant so much to me. Um, she was so wide-eyed and so alert and just, just perfect just beautiful and perfect and just just I just remember her looking at me I, I, I can't I can't I just remember her looking at me just with these beautiful big eyes and just just the most perfect squishy little face and just I mean she was just gorgeous and she was really really surprising everyone with how well she was doing at that point. yeah babies are amazing um the, she was absolutely amazing um within an hour or two, my two older daughters came down and they got to meet her briefly. But it wasn't until several hours later that my husband and I finally had a few minutes to confirm what her name was and to start telling our extended family. <laughs> so as she was probably born, I think, around five or six, maybe. I can't exactly remember. Having her in the nursery also helped get me up and moving pretty quickly. And I remember waking up in the middle of that first night and just going down to hold her. Mm-hmm. Like, just, just sit there and hold her. And it it seems so surreal even now. But I have had moments where it's been confirmed to me just how bad it was. One of them was, you know, getting those wonderful medical bills. And mm. there was a line item on one of them that said, instant resuscitation. And I don't know, there's something about just seeing that printed out in black and white that makes you realize how close you may have been to losing a child. Yeah. I ended up being discharged Christmas Eve, thinking naively it would be easier to be home with my older kids, but ended up back at the hospital to stay with her on Christmas night um, because they wanted her eating well before they would let her go come mm-hmm. home. So I stayed over that night and tried to help with that, which it did work. And she came home the day after Christmas. I I think part of it was the fact that people weren't there to help do all the screenings because it was 
you know, a holiday, yeah. you know, her, you know, birth certificate and you know, newborn hearing and all that sort of stuff. But aside from a few my unrelated, unrelated issues, she's been completely healthy and we don't know of anything at this point in time lingering. Well, that's issues great. Coinciding with her birth. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I still, even with sharing with you guys, with you tonight, I still wish my story didn't end this way, but I take so much comfort in knowing that we did everything we could for me to have a successful VBAC, especially this last time around. I also know without a doubt that having a cesarean ended up being the absolute best thing for not only my health, but for her health. Mm-hmm. And number three is that I was so empowered throughout this process this time around. You know, even taking the time to think through, you know, benefits, to talk, think through and talk through benefits and risks with with my doula before we made a decision really, really helped me feel empowered when things started spiraling out of my control. But again, I have to say I had the most wonderful care team. I know I would have given up if it wasn't for that attending saying, we can do that, just not now. And my doula was amazing with her recommendations as well. And I just I think over this whole thing, I think back to that cross that I bought, which is such an embodiment of my journey. Mm-hmm. And I know that God was watching out not only for me, but for my sweet baby girl. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so thankful for the moments that I had throughout this entire journey, especially her journey, but throughout just my entire pregnancy journey that have really reminded me of that. Yeah. Wow. That's an amazing story. I just, there's so many things, um, to talk about and, and I just, I guess I just don't know where to start. I, I kind of started at one direction and then I like changed my mind and I'm changing my mind again. And, um, I, I'm going to just kind of talk about a lot of things, I guess. Um, first of all, I really, really like what you said about researching, gentle cesarean and family centered cesarean and different options that you have in the operating room. I know that sometimes like, uh, when women are preparing for VBAC, um, we get kind of all caught up in the like positive stories only. Don't tell me about your negative birth experiences. I don't want to think about a C-section. I have to only focus on the VBAC and I can understand that to an extent. And I, in fact, I did that when I was preparing for my first VBAC. You know, I'm like, good stories only. I will be VBAC. I am going to VBAC. And honestly, I didn't look into repeat cesarean options. At least I don't remember, which means if I don't remember doing it, I didn't do it nearly as thoroughly enough as I would have or as I probably should have. And so I absolutely want people to go into their births confident but it's really, really important to have a backup plan. And with my yeah. doula clients, especially with my VBAC clients, and um, when we're in our prenatal, in our prenatals, um, one of the last things that I ask at our second prenatal appointment is, do you want to go over cesarean birth options and make a backup plan just in case? And a lot of a lot of my clients say no, they don't want to, and. Depending on, you know, the client, the relationship, sometimes I'll um, discuss it a little more and sometimes I just leave it alone. But I think that not preparing or at least researching and finding out what options there are for cesarean 
is a really big disservice to yourself and your family and your baby. And this is me and I'm, I'm, I'm owning it too, because I didn't do that for my, when I was getting ready for my VBAC, but you know, things as much, as much, as much as we want to prepare and work hard, sometimes repeat C-sections happen and sometimes they happen twice, like in this story. And sometimes they're necessary and sometimes they, you'll look back and you'll question it and and that's okay. Both of those things are okay. But but take some time. This is what I'm going to tell you right now. You listening right now. Take some time, even just 30 minutes. And um, we have a blog about um, family-centered cesarean options. We go over it deeply in our, in our VBAC preparation course for parents. And we go over it for in our advanced VBAC doula certification training. And know what your options are. Even if you just spend 30 minutes thinking about it, make some quick notes and then tuck it away. You don't have to think about it or talk about it ever again, but spend some time, even just once, learning what those options are because it's going to go a long way for making you feel more in control of your birth experience if it takes an unexpected turn. And so that would be my advice for you. The second thing I want to talk about And we've talked about this before, I think in episode 40 with my client Janine and her CBAC, but I want to, you know, it's really, really hard when you work so hard for something and it doesn't happen. And even as necessary as it, it may be, you still are allowed to mourn the loss of your experience I mean, you, Brittany, worked so hard for VBAC. You did everything like textbook, everything right. I mean, like if there was a checklist for VBAC, then you would have checked all the boxes, you know? And and I use the term like did it right loosely because what's right is different for everybody. But you were very, very prepared and you didn't get that VBAC. And sometimes that can be hard to process or we get a lot of the time women who just don't get it. They're like, oh, happy or healthy mom, healthy baby. That should be all that matters. And while, you know, arguably it's probably the most important thing that matters, it's not the only important thing. And you're allowed to mourn the loss of your birth experience while you are happy that you have a healthy mom and a healthy baby. And those two feelings can exist in the same space and it's messy and it's complicated and it's frustrating and, and, and it's painful, but knowing how to properly process that is really important. And so we have a blog and it's called how to cope when you don't get your VBAC and it's on our website at the vbaclink.com slash blog. But I'm just going to briefly go over um, four tips that you can do when you prepare or when you prepare and you work so hard, I guess you don't even have to work hard. These are just tips you can use when you don't get your VBAC. And the first one is understand that no matter what happens, you are strong. We know you are a woman of strength. We believe that. And women, oh my gosh, it is takes so much strength to give birth no matter how you do it. There are, there are dozens and dozens of ways to have a baby and each one requires so much strength. So following your intuition and being at peace with your decision will help with your recovery. So believing that, that you are strong. And like I said, it's okay to mourn the loss of your experience while still being happy that you have your baby. 
Um, the second thing is take charge of your own birth. We just talked about this. Knowing what your options are before you go into your birth can make a big difference about how you feel about it if it takes an unexpected turn in the end. Uh, the third thing is find support. If you hired a doula, which we encourage you to do, we want you to have a doula, we have a whole database of VBAC trained and VBAC certified doulas on our website, thevbaclink.com slash find a doula. We have more states added every single week. We're really excited about that, but you can use your doula support or two to three people that really get it and understand that you that you're mourning this loss of a birth experience that you worked so hard for. Um, if you don't have that support group, join our Facebook community. Just look up the VBAC link community on Facebook. And it, it is such an amazing group. If I do say so myself, there's lots of support and love there and, and celebration whenever um, women post their birth stories, whether VBAC or repeat cesarean. Um, and then number four is understand that VBAC after multiple cesareans may still be an option for you. We've had successful VBAC clients after two C-sections, three C-sections. Um, there's even a girl in our community going for after four C-sections right now. We have several stories on the podcast after VBAC after four C-sections. And so it's still possible. And we have a link to a blog all about VBAC after multiple C-sections in that exact blog. Or you can just look up our blog for VBAC after multiple cesareans. We have lots of options for you on that on that blog page. So I hope that no matter how your birth turns out, and sometimes VBAC can be traumatic as well. Sometimes um, it can take an unexpected turn, but you still get a vaginal birth. And we, we encourage you that no matter what way your birth ends up, if it ends up a way that you don't want, go through and read these, read this blog and find out some steps and reach out to us. We always have open arms and want to love you and support you through your journey and um, at the end of it, which as we know, the end of the journey is just the beginning of a whole new one. So can I I add one more thing? Yes, please. I, I, I I don't think you said this, but I know one thing that has tremendously helped me is to focus on those good moments. Yes. And to focus on just those moments that have been beautiful in, in the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And remembering the parts where you were in control and where you did feel that joy, like that first moment you got to hold your baby skin to skin and she was healthy and you just felt all that love. Like I just, that moment is just incredible. And I'm so happy absolutely. that you got to have that. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. We absolutely loved it. And we know that it's going to inspire a lot of women. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.